0: The United States has more than 16,000 wastewater treatment plants. According to the American Society of Civil Engineers, on average 81% of these plants are at their design capacity and 15% have either reached or exceeded it. Expanding existing plants or building new ones is exceptionally expensive, but there are ways to help alleviate the pressure on these plants without resorting to massive and expensive projects. In this episode of Codings Decoded, we will discuss the growing awareness of inflow and infiltration. How it can stress a community's collection system, and options to address it. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Codings Decoded. My name is Mark Thomas. Today, I am joined by Mike Caputi, Vice President of Apoxy Tech. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Mark. Today, we want to talk about INI, otherwise known as inflow and infiltration. This is a big buzzword in the water industry and seems to be coming up more and more. Mike, can you go into some detail and explain what exactly INI is?
1: Yeah, INI is definitely a a concern for many municipalities, uh, many owners, uh, engineers, the like. Um, INI is a condition in which an underground system infrastructure that's buried underground, such as a collection system for sanitary sewer, which the intent is to collect sewage and get it over to the treatment plant for treatment um, considering this underground and buried it's susceptible to being in the water table or is susceptible to a storm event in which soil becomes saturated and whether it's in the water table or whether it's saturation of soil from storm water water gets into the system so you have Infiltration in, in, in terms of storm water coming in and inflow in terms of being buried in the water table. Um, both conditions bring in water that's clean water. This is not dirty water, it's clean water that should not be in that system. Um, and unfortunately for I and I, it burdens the system. Um, and treatment plants are getting uh, a burden rate of clean
0: water in which they're treating that shouldn't otherwise be there. Okay, so this is a a sewer collection system that is receiving extra water through – I'm imagining this just coming through the concrete or whatever the structure of the – like a manhole or a a pipe. This water is infiltrating through and adding to the water that that system has to carry. Is that correct?
1: Correct. So a a a lot of the infrastructure is aged. A lot of the infrastructure is made up of a variety of different materials. Um, looking at some of the older infrastructure in the U.S., um, a lot of it is beyond its design life. Um, we have infrastructure in some of the old cities throughout the U.S. that are, you know, 50 years to 100 years old. And you have brick structures, you have concrete structures, you have some steel structures. Um, it's really the brick and the concrete infrastructure that takes on a lot of the leaks from deterioration of of uh corrosives and, and usually in the form of hydrogen sulfide, but also with just basic erosion and just aging, right? So grout and seams come undone, the brick uh, the brick mortar comes undone, and you have just you know some areas of the US, especially around coastal communities where you know these structures are buried in the water table, you just have an onslaught of water coming into the system. That maybe in the beginning when this infrastructure was put in um, they weren't seeing this Uh, what's been happening is populations growing at a rate that's predictable let's say a city grew in five you know five percent of their population grew in the past few years but yet the treatment plant took on 20 percent increase of water well that didn't make sense so they started investigating this and there's a lot of technology now that goes through some of these sewer pipes and these manholes and lift stations and Sure enough, you know, they identified a lot of leaks because they're towards the end of their life cycle. And that's why this is a, a popular problem. It's not so much lining anymore for just corrosion protection in underground situations and collection systems as lining to actually seal and prevent I and I from coming in.
0: Okay. And so you named two things that are contributing to this problem. It would be just the the soil conditions, the environmental conditions of where that system is located and also the age of the infrastructure. Correct. Correct. The age of the infrastructure is
1: is putting is is creating deterioration to the structure um just in, in natural fatigue but also in corrosive attack and then the condition in which it's in. So if it's in, in the water table, it has constant pressure around the cylinder. If you think of cylinder shapes like a, a pipe or a manhole, you have water pressure trying to come in. Or even if it's in a dry community, but it's susceptible to a lot of rain, um, you still have inflow coming in from a storm event, event and the infiltration as well, um, coming in from you know, joints and seams, which is that residual water
0: so in thinking in terms of this water coming through i can imagine a, a brick manhole that's deteriorated and water is leaking in and, and adding to this this burden why can't they just flush more through the treatment system why why is this such a problem downstream
1: it's such a problem because you know to take on this water without sealing it at the source if you take a look at a single manhole, for example, um, let's just take a, a scenario, this is this is an example. If you have a single manhole with a small leak of about five gallons a minute, um, that can equate to about 300 gallons an hour. You take a municipality like, for example, Miami-Dade Water and Sewer and some other, other large municipalities such as the city of Chicago or LA County, um, it's not uncommon to have 50, 60, sometimes you know, 90,000 manholes in their system. So let's take a smaller municipality that has the the design capacity to take on 50,000 gallons a minute. Most cities are averaging about 75% capacity, by you know, without the system being burdened at all. With that similar five gallon per minute or 300 gallon per hour leak condition, only takes 50 manholes for that system to become overburdened and hit what's called an SSO condition. That's a sanitary sewer overflow condition. So an overflow can occur and that can create an environmental problem that can create um, a burden on the infrastructure's uh, design capabilities. It could burst pipe, it could overflow into the streets, it could cross contaminate with water lines. So it, it becomes a problem right away. Even if they were to take on that volume, the reactive way to deal with it is big build bigger sewer plants. Well that's that infrastructure is incredibly costly to taxpayers. So the better scenario to take care of environmental concerns and keep it cost effective is to be proactively lining so that we stop the leaks at the source rather than building larger plants. Before we realized this problem was happening in the industry, we were simply building larger plants. And then we realized we're spending tax money in the wrong area. So let's
0: let's dig through. If we're going to identify and try to abate this at the source of the problem, and that would be a less expensive way than building larger plants, expanding those. What are some different options for abating it? Well.
1: There's a lot of industries, a lot of businesses that responded to this need, and they usually attack it two different ways. Um, Primarily, the the technology as a generalization is lining, right? We call this lining systems, right? So we're going to line sewer pipe or the vertical structures that are also taking on leaks, which could be the manholes and the lift stations. When you're looking at horizontal pipe the leading technologies there are technologies called cipp which is cured in place pipe um, slip liners these are either resin impregnated felts that get dragged through a sewer pipe or a liner that gets dragged through a sewer pipe and then either blown up with air cured with hot air or hot water and it becomes a pipe in a pipe essentially for the vertical structures since they're More irregular. Um, You take a manhole, it has a a small cone and then it expands outward. It has a lot of connections, um, including lift stations, which could have a a variety of different designs. You need something a little bit more dynamic. So typically with the vertical structures, the lining technologies there are either sprayed on or troweled on technologies.
0: Okay, and what what seems to be the most popular out there? Are those is one less expensive or quicker than the other. Well, another another delineation delineation
1: is um, between coatings and lining, right? So, what what's popular underground is not necessarily what's popular above ground. So. And then furthermore, what's popular in horizontal pipes is not necessarily what's popular with vertical structures. So breaking this down further, um, what's popular for horizontal pipe is CIPP. Um, This this is cured in place pipe, especially for long runs of line. You could have miles of pipeline. Um, They become more effective, more efficient, and, and more economical as they mobilize for longer runs. The setup um, bringing out the wetting trucks, bringing out the felts, um, that logistics could be quite uh, high as far as labor time and, and rates, but as you start pulling through pipe, it becomes more cost-effective long-term. However, we can't use CIPP necessarily in vertical structures like manholes and lift stations. And manholes and lift stations are very popular product that is con- is is widely accepted and used are something we call structural coatings or ultra high build, high strength polymer lining systems, whether spray applied or trowel applied. But then when you go into above ground, there's the world of paints and coatings. And there's a reason why paints and coatings don't necessarily fit below grade and vice versa. But but just to answer your question, a, a very popular choice for vertical lining as opposed to CIPP Lining for pipe, the vertical lining of manholes and lift stations, the popular choices are these high-build polymer lining systems.
0: Okay, so I'm imagining the CIPP, which you said is can be costly for small runs, but once you get that, you know it sounds a little bit more involved with impregnating these these liners with resin. But if you've got long runs, it's it's good for that. That's obviously spreading some of that labor cost through each mile or half mile or 100 yards that you're, you're trying to do there, but then you get in and that's good for more of a, a horizontal situation. You get into vertical structures like you mentioned, lift stations, manholes, maybe some smaller lengths of pipe that the the structural epoxies would be better. And, and you say epoxy, everyone's heard of epoxy, especially in the water industry. It's used almost everywhere. Uh, A lot of people are familiar with epoxies that go on structural steel that might go inside a a water tank, be used on a a pump or a valve in immersion. What makes those formulations different than what you're calling a structural epoxy? Okay,
1: there's a lot of confusion around the word structural, so that's a good question. (laughs) So the the epoxy that goes in below-grade environments and even some other polymer technologies are, are very different than what could be specified above ground. The the word structural means a few things, um, and it comes with a few characteristics that are conducive for below-grade environments. So what we mean by the word structural could mean something completely different to another audience or even another industry. Um, I always joke around with uh, civil engineers sometimes because one of the first things that conjures up in their mind when I say structural epoxies, they're thinking – we can create a form and pour an epoxy and be, build a loading beam out of epoxy and put a building on top of it. That's not what we mean by structural epoxy. Structural epoxy in our world, when we're doing lining of collection systems, has a very specific meaning, at least to applied coatings like like, a, like structural epoxies. And what that means is the film itself is very different than a lot of the films you might be used to above ground on structural steel, for example. The film itself is structural in the sense that it has high mechanical strengths. This is in terms of a high flexural modulus, high high tensile properties, and high flexural strengths. That combination of those high mechanical properties in the film gives this type of liner an advantage in below-grade environments as opposed to above ground. Because we're dealing with environments that are confined, hard to control variables, humidity levels that are very high, very wet conditions, um, very adverse conditions. And not that a coating manufacturer ever wants to have a coating not stick. We want to be very much bonded. But should we have to bridge something that was unforeseen or or missed because you're you're in a confined area of of only a few feet of diameter, a structural epoxy has the ability that in its film strength, that should it become inadvertently unbonded in a small blister, that blister stays rigid. And if you formulate correctly and have really good wet acceptance and bond strength, it stays a rigid blister. And then if flow gets behind that rigid blister, it won't push through, delaminate, or peel back like a traditional non-structural coating that you would normally specify in steel above ground may be susceptible to. So it comes with this design advantage or let's say a fail safe in dealing with inv- the conditions that are very adverse and hard to control. Above ground, we have the luxury to have shutdowns. We have the luxury to have mile. Um, uh, uh, sorry, pause point milestones to inspect around. We have the ability to have a large wide area to bring in sandblasting and inspect every nook and cranny of every valley and profile that we're blasting. Below grade, we're sometimes working in live conditions, always with a lot of condensation. We're sometimes working with unidentified materials that that come up that weren't necessarily known in a condition assessment because again manhole contractors are going from manhole to manhole multiplied by hundreds if not thousands and dealing with a variety of different substrates conditions diameters of pipe and sometimes working in live conditions you need a product that's forgiving and that has that fail safe in the design so these are really ultra high build high strength epoxies Um, when i say ultra high build i mean an eighth of an inch to sometimes up to 500 mils a half an inch thick. And its ability to hang and cure at those thicknesses to hold back those kind of hydrostatic pressure and I I forces that might occur behind this film.
0: Okay, so you're, what you're describing is obviously you're, you're trying to to mitigate this incoming, this I and that we've talked about. And let's just picture a manhole. We, we coat this with a structural epoxy that water's still trying to get through. And Correct. even though you've sealed that up, What you're suggesting is is that that film has enough internal strength that even if there's an area where that water has caused a small area to disbond you still have that monolithic epoxy liner intact because it has enough strength to withstand that correct and again that's inadvertent right it's just
1: the reality of the environment these contractors might be applying these products over grout repairs sometimes hydraulic cement repairs if those come undone behind the coating down the road, you would want a structural epoxy to the exact point you just made, Mark, that has that film strength that stays a rigid blister where water still cannot push through, break through, or pull on the coating and start delaminating the coating. And that's why structural epoxies are doing very well in grade environments and why they're highly specified and popular
0: for manhole and lift station lining. Okay, so let's let's kind of walk through the process. Let's picture we've got uh, an old brick or concrete manhole. It's really beyond its design life, but the municipality doesn't have the the funds to go through and just completely replace hundreds of these or even thousands of these. Walk us through what is the process for applying a structural epoxy in that environment? The process could differ, and that's why you need something that's very
1: practical and, and nimble. So again, a, a distinction between above ground and below grade. You know, above ground you can do a good condition assessment. You you can almost predict all the variables in which you're going to have to address and you can do a turnkey bid and put bid items for a contractor to deal with all the conditions that are known in a above ground structure. Below grade, unfortunately, a lot of contractors are are bidding blindly. They're bidding with tools that they that they might need should a scenario arise? So your typical contractor for for below grade environments that are doing lining have to be able to be experts in not only DOT because they have to stop traffic, um, they have to get in a hole, whether it's a manhole or, or an access chamber, and usually get in a small diameter live environment or a highly humidity shut high humidity high moisture shut down environment and deal with leaks that are still trying to come in, so they have to be experts at stopping leaks. You can do those with hydraulic cements like Epoxytex, Hydrex-1, and Hydrex-3. If a hydraulic cement can't do the job, they may have to have be well known in the trade of chemical grouting, which is using a highly reactive injection grout that, that swells and foams to stop the void behind um, the structure so that water stops at the source. Um, and then they have to Either get on resurfacers if the structure is too irregular, like for example, a brick could be highly irregular, um, or go direct to substrate with a trial version or a spray version of the epoxy itself. Just all depends on the condition. That's why it's such a hard environment to navigate um, with traditional coatings that need every variable buttoned up before you start. Um, you need something more practical with really high film thicknesses to give. To give the contractor the necessary tools to either go direct to substrate, go direct on top of a surfacer, or go over sporadic patch and grouting repairs. Um, and with a high build epoxy, that contractor has the ability to do one of those three things. He can go direct to substrate, over resurfaces, or over patching material, so he could deal with each manhole as it throws the problems at him. Um, because a lot of the times it's unpredictable.
0: So what you're looking for is obviously because you can't do a condition assessment of every single manhole before you bid and these contractors are bidding on packages of hundreds of manholes sometimes Correct. that they've That's got exactly. to be prepared both with their, their technique and with the right product line. It needs to be expansive enough to address whatever the condition is that they find when they pop that lids, the manhole. Correct.
1: And the challenge for manufacturers like us is we need to control standards of prep. We need to control standards of inspection that doesn't overburden the, the, the price of doing these things. And we need to advise on on how do you, you know, we need to always figure out how do you mash up good surface prep standards and good quality testing um, in the execution of doing these projects, but yet still stay practical. Um, that is always a challenge. So. The advantage of you know working with a company like Tanimic and others that are in this industry and, and epoxy tech is that's what we do all day long, right? So we need to at least create a minimum standard in which we know with this minimum standard you're going to have an optimized bond to the substrate, but st- but then collapse and bridge the concern of the unpredictability or the inability to have the variables known when you're in collection systems with a good product. So we need to design a practical system, yet we need to control standards. And somewhere in there is the Goldilocks zone to have success.
0: All right, Mike. So, so far we've talked about aged infrastructure. That's a big problem in the country. Uh, a lot of funds and activity are directed in that, that area just because of the, the size of the problem. But we also know that there's new construction going on all the time. Do these products, are they applicable to new construction as well as the refurbishment that we've talked about previously? It is applicable, and I think that's
1: also growing in popularity. I, I believe a lot of people are starting to realize that your everyday shop paint that you slap onto a manhole can only be so good for so long. Even when they're constructing manholes, they're usually stacking cylinders on top of one another, and... Without a proper sealant or a wrap on the outside of that, water is still going to find its way through those joint seams. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to a contractor not too long ago that applies a competitive system and has issues because although it's dry at that moment, when they apply their, their, their coating, water starts pushing from those joint seams and usually what contractors are doing are just rubbing down with a hydraulic cement after they stack it and those are not keyed in welders are not blasted in to a nice profile it's just really rubbed down and feathered Um, so those hydraulic cement repairs eventually become undone and if you again if you have a non-structural coating or you have something that doesn't stay rigid um, with high flexural strengths that water again can start pushing when it starts finding its way between those grout repairs. So even for new construction, especially if you know you're going to be in the water table, it behooves the owner and the engineer to, to engineer structural epoxy or, or structural coating system that can remain rigid, remain bonded around the areas that it is biting to, so it can have that bridge for areas that become undone or unbuckled. Down the road, and again, not that we want that to happen. It's just the reality of the situation. Uh, it's just the way the world is right now with underground infrastructure. We, there's not enough money to do things um, engineered with proper joint sealing for every situation because it's just cost prohibitive. There's funding. A lot of the funding does go to does go to rehab primarily, and then The really smart owners and engineers who want to be more proactive, they realize let's engineer the right system from the beginning before just specifying a coating for H2S protection, but not for I&I. So maybe that can work in some very dry areas, um, but in especially coastal areas or areas in the water table, you know, we're out of Florida. Almost every manhole is in the water table in Florida it's good to have structural coatings from the get-go um, to have a really good preventive maintenance lining system.
0: All right. Well, Mike, I really appreciate your time. We hopefully gave a good overview of what inflow and infiltration or I, is all about, the problems that it's causing to treatment systems and collection systems in the country. And then a variety of ways that, that owners and engineers can consider for abating and mitigating some of that activity that they're trying to, to avoid and prevent in the future. So Mike, thank you very much for your time, I appreciate it.
1: It was a pleasure, thank you. Thank you as
0: well. Thanks again for joining us. For more information on structural epoxies, visit epoxytech.com. And continue to get the latest information on high-performance coatings by subscribing to Codings Decoded on your favorite podcast platform.